This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big thanks to our title sponsor, Big O Tires. Save up to $190 off Michelin tires with financing options available. Only your locally owned and operated Big O Tires, the team you trust. Real quick before we jump into what's going on here, Gordon, and we've got some clips from uh, DJ and PK and uh, Hanson Scotty as well. But there's some news coming down. We're going to talk to Mannix of four. He just uh, sent this out a few minutes ago. Uh, He said, per NBA's L2M report, the offensive foul called on Kawhi Leonard in the closing seconds of the game against Brooklyn was the correct call. Mm. Vomit. The fact that James Harden can flop his way to victory should disgust every basketball fan. (laughs) Are you sure you're not, uh, you know, uh, revealing some of your bias here? Um, I guess my point is, and mine has nothing to do with time and score. If it's a foul, call it. If it's not a foul, don't. But it's like holding in the NFL. You know, there's there can be holding on every play, but you call the ones that matter or are most egregious. You know what I mean? Well, how do you, like how there, do you know? There's going to be contact in basketball. So right. you, you uh, go into it with that understanding that there's a certain amount of contact that you're going to let go and a certain amount that you're not. And in this case... Uh, Kawhi Leonard had his arm out in front and there was contact with James Harden and maybe there was even the slightest bit of force but James Harden heaving himself into the third row in order to get the call (laughs) at such a critical moment in the game is disgusting yeah I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying if James would have contested the shot and ended up getting an offensive foul on Kawhi Leonard then okay fine you know there's contact there and they made the call fine but to not even play defense and just to heave yourself into the third row is is disgusting. To have it as a strategy really bugs me. Yeah. At okay, that so, point in the game, okay. the but game's lo- on lo- the line. I understand. But should the whistle have been blown or not? No, I don't think so. Not at all? No. Okay. Let them suffer the, uh, the consequences for flopping at such a consequential moment. I think most players would prefer that the referees use some judgment – uh, before they they make calls like that, um, and I, I don't have science to back that up. I mean, I don't have evidence to back that up. But uh, most of the guys I've talked to through the years, they they want a referee to use good judgment uh, as opposed to just making literal calls. I agree. I, I totally agree. It's why, uh, Gordon, it's why that uh, – remember last year when the NFL was going to start reviewing – uh, pass interference, potential calls, you know? Yeah. And I was like, this is just such a stupid idea because you can call this stuff on every single pass play. Yeah, but see, that's what confuses people about why it is called on certain ones but not on others, you know? And it's like you said, with the holding, you're right. That probably could be called on every play. And so what happens is, you know, then then you have some – 65-yard game-breaker, and it's called back because of a holding call. That, But, you know, those guys throw the flag before they know what the outcome of the play is. Well, that's why offensive line coaches, good ones, 
it will teach you, okay, keep the holding inside the pads, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, mm-hmm. they'll make the call when it's egregious. You know, when the sack is about to happen and you're yanking them down by the shoulder pad because it's the last resort. By all means, you know, make that call. But if the guy's just locking up the D lineman on the inside, nobody wants to see that call made. I've seen that happen so many times. And sometimes it's consequential, sometimes it isn't. But I have seen big, big plays. And and I've seen games changed on a call like that. But punish punish a guy for faking it. Yeah. You know, if, like if there's the benefit of the doubt to be given on the play, like on this one in particular, why don't you give it to the guy who's trying to make a basketball play and not the guy who's faking it? So what's the rule on that, Jake? Didn't they, didn't they say they were going to implement technical fouls for guys who were faking it? That was a long time ago. They gave up on that years <laughs> ago. Back when they, everybody had a peachy folder. I think they I think they enforced that once on Manu Ginobili and then they're like, Yeah, we probably can't really police this all that well. <laughs> yeah, I don't like I I'm I understand your frustration there, Jake, and I'm with you on it. I don't like to see guys uh overcooking it. And if like you don't that. if you haven't seen the play we're talking about, uh it, it's online everywhere. But essentially uh Kawhi Leonard goes to the basket, he's being guarded by James Harden, he's got his his arm kind of out in front of him, Gordon, a little mm-hmm. bit, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And as soon as the contact is made with that forearm, uh, James Harden acts like, I mean, he just got, <laughs> he just took an uppercut from Buster Douglas. <laughs> and Kawhi lays what? it out. Plus, of all the people, Buster Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I just don't like it. I, I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that bugs me too. I, I, I've, I don't. The only overacting I've ever enjoyed was uh, maybe a Jim Carrey movie every once in a while. But I, I don't need to see guys out on the floor, out on a field, overacting. Don't like it. Nope. All right, let's get to what's going on. Let's check in with DJ and PK. Of course, you hear them every single morning from 6 to 10. They had Hornets beat writer Rick Bonnell on to talk about uh, Hayward's acclimation in Charlotte. So we all know when Gordon left the Jazz, he was an all-star, right? I mean, that, that's just a fact. And the team looked like it was on the come, and, and then they got fortunate to, to pick up Mitchell and the way they've gone here, and now they're on top of the standings right now as we speak. And we understand the situation in Boston. You know, he breaks his, what was it, leg or ankle, whatever it was, like two minutes into the game, and then Tatum and Brown develop, and three years later he leaves. Now, I don't know if you can get this opportunity this year with everything being on Zoom and all, but he has he talked much about publicly for the folks in Charlotte about his experience with the Jazz? No, that's just, that's such ancient history that it never really came up. I, I think I think when I did my long interview with him, the only the only the only area where it came up was kind of what I mentioned before that. You know, I asked him, I said, it seems like free throw attempts are a really important aspect of your game. Do you think you can get back to being Utah Jazz Gordon? And it's obvious from his performance that he's he's healthy again, and that matters. Frankly, the most interesting thing I find found out about Gordon, um, I'm, I'm really lucky that um, um, Ron Norad, um, an assistant coach for the Hornets, was – Gordon's point guard at Butler and Ron was just incredibly open in talking about what you need to understand about Gordon Hayward is he was an engineering major at, at, at Butler. He has that kind of a mind as far as problem solving. I thought 
Ron put it so well when he said, you don't want to think of Gordon as a scorer. You don't want to think of Gordon as a passer. What you want to think of him about is a decision maker, that he's going to look at things, size, size up what a defense is doing, and whether he takes a shot or makes a pass, he's going to find a way to, to break down that defense on a very sophisticated intellectual level. I have absolutely found that to be the case. The Hornets had all kinds of problems in the past with late game, um, you know, with, with, with late and shot clock situations, and Gordon has improved them significantly in that way. Again, in the Zoom era, maybe you're not around, guys. You don't see him in the locker room and all that. Is he? I hate that, by the way. It's the hardest part of my job is not having you know natural, organic interaction with players anymore. Right. So, is it hard to see if he's really bonding with the team, or I mean, can kind of be a little aloof at times, kind of separate from the guys? How's that working out? Yeah, like you said, it's so hard for me to judge. I. I would definitely agree with you that what makes Gordon a little bit different in terms of sensibility and and is I don't think that basketball, you know, just is, is like dominates his identity, his personality. You know, he's such a family man. He he wants to be home with four kids. And and I and I agree with you that most most professional athletes think of themselves as a professional athlete first and everything else in their lives second. And I don't think that's ever been Gordon's priority. And, and, and to, be all, to be honest, maybe this says something about where I am in life. I think it's a really healthy thing as opposed to some sort of shortcoming. All right, there you go. Talking about Gordon Hayward uh, moving in with the Hornets, and I, I would guess it's a situation that he's fairly comfortable with, Gordon, and that's probably why we're seeing him have some success. Yeah, he's yeah he's playing kind of the way he did with the Jazz, and uh, he's feeling free to do the things that he wants to do. And, uh, yeah, so uh, he was uncomfortable in Boston. You could tell that that was not a happy situation for him. What do you think of what he said about uh, about Gordon? You know that basketball really wasn't that much, wasn't at the top of his priority list. Uh, do you agree with that? Um, I don't know how. Like Gordon Hayward was very professional when he was here, very professional. He put in the work to get it to get better. You know, we heard about the the seven a.m. I mean, like he went out of his way to do his job. I don't know what his personal priorities are. But I would never, not here at least, while he was here, ever said Gordon Hayward showed up anything less than prepared. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, I I just don't think that the, I I love criticizing Gordon Hayward more than the next guy. You heard to see the segment we had in the two o'clock hour, but I don't I don't think he ever gave it anything less than his best from a professional standpoint. Maybe he likes tennis more. I don't know. You you can never tell by the way he performed here, though, I would say. Yeah, I, I don't think you can hold it against anybody that they hold uh, their family in, uh, in a high level of importance. I mean, yeah, that's a good thing. But actually, that should help him play even better basketball as far as I'm concerned. Well, does he show up ready to go? I mean, in, in all honesty, Gordon, uh, you know, we know each other well, and uh, absolutely. But, I mean, if you had a chaotic personal life, I could not care less as long as you showed up ready to roll. You know what I mean? As long as yeah. when, when the show started, 
I got 100% of my main man, Gordon Monson. That's all I would care about. You know, of course, I'd care about your, your well-being, but from a professional standpoint, right? So as if I'm, if I'm management, certainly with the Hornets or, or whatever, I don't, I don't care as long as he shows up ready to ball. Right. Well, that's a good way of looking at it. And I think he has. I mean, he tries hard and works hard. Uh, but, but he's only human, just like everybody else is. And when he was in Boston, he looked uncomfortable to me. He looked like, you know what he looked like? He looked like an outsider. Well, he was in a little bit of a way, which wasn't his fault because they went on that run without him. I mean, it was going to be, it was going to be complicated for him to find a role after that because Tatum and Brown carried him to the Eastern Conference Finals and had this magical come together, you know, uh, role. And Gordon was never part of that fraternity. And either was Kyrie Irving for that matter. And so all of a sudden you try to mix those two back into the cake, so to speak. And, you know, we're surprised it didn't work because they, you know, whether it's right or not, Tatum and Brown probably took the attitude of, hey, we got there without you. Well, you're going to come in here and dominate this locker room? I don't think so. (laughs) You know, and, and that's more Kyrie than Gordon. I think Gordon Hayward just was a man without a role or at least a role to his liking. Yeah, there, there's that. Do you think that the whole teacher's pet situation came into play at all? I don't know. Probably initially when, when Brad Stevens, remember, tried to put him right back into the starting lineup and right when he got back from the ankle injury and he wasn't there from a performance standpoint. But I don't think that that – I mean, look what they did. They they moved, or they or let Hayward go. Yeah. But I'm going back all the way to the beginning when he first showed up in Boston. Oh, I think it would have been totally different if he didn't get hurt. And Tatum and Brown had to come up under Gordon – I think it would have been a different situation. Not that they eventually wouldn't eclipse him because I think they're better players than he is, but it would have been different for him. It would have been a different role. It would have been a different chemistry. He wouldn't have been viewed as that outsider like you just said because it would have been he and Kyrie who set the tone. But he got hurt, but he got hurt right out of the gate, and then he got Wally pipped. <laughs> okay. All right, I just... When I watched his body language on the court of playing for the Celtics, even even in the early stages, but uh, throughout, I, he just, I don't know, he, he did not look like uh, what we saw here with the Jazz. And yeah, he wasn't always comfortable here when he showed up as a rookie, remember? I mean, he got he got roughed up by Darren Williams a little bit. And uh, he, I remember having conversations with him about developing himself as a leader and he he said he was really if I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he he said essentially that he was hesitant to try and do anything like that until he he had gained some seniority. Yeah. So at at that point he was a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but but as time went by, we saw what he was able to shape himself into and uh, help the Jazz win. Here's Hans. Uh, here's yeah, Hanson Scotty. No, this is. Uh, I just. W- I want to get to this clip because it really is part of what we're talking about here. They look at the Clipper game and then talk about tonight's game against the uh, Hornets. To have Paul George and Kawhi and Nicholas Batum show up on the court the following night, and, and I get it. It, it was. It was a much different looking Clippers team and a different outcome. Obviously, I do think that it was more of a compliment to the Utah Jazz that Coach Lou got the entire crew back on the court and came out and went full press and, and hard push through four quarters. 
and obviously the Clippers got the win. And, and I do think it says a little bit about the, the Clippers. I think it says a little bit about where the Utah Jazz are. And I did read a little bit into that game a little bit because I felt like both teams came into that game like, all right, you're fully loaded. We're fully loaded. We got Mike Conley back. Let's see what we got here. And it was a really good game, but not the outcome Jazz fans, I'm sure, were looking for. Well, uh, yeah, and I think the uh, the first quarter had a lot to do with that, too, and the fact that the Jazz had a furious rally late that uh, just ended up a little bit short. I think these are two very evenly matched uh, teams, and I wouldn't mind seeing this game being played six more times in a seven-game series. That's what I'm saying. That, it was It was that type of entertaining game. It was that kind of fun. Which is probably another reason why you want to hold on to that one seed because you want the Clippers and Lakers to do battle. You you want those two to knock each other around in a seven-game set. Well, I said on Friday that I'm, I'm not scared of this Clippers team um, and that the Utah Jazz should match up and play well because I feel like Rudy Gobert is a solid matchup. But watching Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the court again together – and watching Patrick Beverly do what he does, he's so obnoxious the way he plays the game. But I, but I like the way he plays the game. I like his physicality. Yeah, it's one of those guys you want on your team. You hate him when he's on the other team. Exactly. He's he's he just pesters you all all game long. It, it was a quick reminder that that is going to be a team you would love to avoid, if possible. You would love to avoid that fully loaded team because they looked they looked really good in stretches. Well, it's the best. And really determined. They've got the best defense. I mean, you know, I can, I'm sure somebody will throw analytics at me and say they're not either. But, but when this team locks down and plays defense, they've got the best, they've got the best defenders in the league with Beverly, Kawhi, and Paul George. All three of those dudes can hang their hat on defense mm-hmm. and can lock you down and make you feel miserable. And really, and I think this was a problem in the first quarter for the Jazz, really disrupt your passing. Uh, because they get into passing lanes, they they wreak havoc with your spacing. They do a lot of problems, and it, they create a lot of problems for you when you're trying to um, when you're trying to create something for yourself. And so, I think that's the Jazz are so predicated on spacing, on 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 getting those open looks, and and the length and the athleticism of the Clippers really create a lot of problems for that. More than I thought. More than I thought when they're fully loaded, and you could tell Scotty Kawhi wanted to make a, he wanted to prove a point. Yeah, so did Paul George. They both wanted to prove a point. I mean, everybody watched that game. That felt like a that felt like a game two in a yes, Western Conference semifinal. Absolutely did. Which that that to your point, I, I want to see six more games. I want to see the Jazz versus this Clippers team fully loaded seven times total. Because I want to see who's the better team. If if the Jazz could even stick in it that long, or if the Clippers stick in it that long, I, I'd love to see it. It's a really good team. When they're clicking, it's a really good team. Um, Utah Jazz taking on the Charlotte Hornets tonight. So we get to see Gordon Hayward again. Excited to see Gordon Hayward. And you remember the last time they took on Charlotte, it, it wasn't Gordon Hayward. It was LaMelo Ball. Yeah. LaMelo Ball came out and had a game. Career high. Well, I don't think he's eclipsed it either. 34 points in that game, and it just felt like he couldn't do anything wrong. Now, the Utah Jazz end up getting the win in that game, 138 to 121. But you could tell that 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 team wanted to make a point as well. And Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball, back at the Vivint Smart Home Arena tonight. This is going to be a good game as well. Yep. 
It'll, I don't, be, it'll be another test. This is the eighth seed in the East. Yeah, I don't think this is a game that you just say, oh, that's a W. No. Uh, although it'll be interesting to see, I think the Jazz play a little angry tonight. And I think, frankly, there's a lot of pressure lifted off them after losing that game. I mean, the the, the mental wear. I like, okay, I'll say this. I could see the Jazz beating Charlotte by 25 tonight. I could also see the Jazz losing three out of their next four because of the letdown after the loss and just like, you know, the All-Star break's coming up, second half of the season's coming up, and I could see this team, and, and it, I wouldn't even be upset about it because I just understand the mental wear and tear that the last you know month or so have been as this team has been playing at a super high level. Mm-hmm. I could see this team dropping two, two out of three, three out of four. Uh, and everybody panicking, like, and it's just the waves of the season, the yeah. ups and downs of an NBA season. And I think this team has had to be so hyper-focused and so super intense over this last stretch that it wouldn't surprise me you lose a game like, oh, okay, well, we lost the game. Um, and then all of a sudden there's another loss, and then all of a sudden it clicks, all right, all right, we got to get this thing back up and going again. You know, I could just see a long season where something like that could happen. It wouldn't surprise me. All right, there you go. Hanson, Scotty G hitting on the uh, hitting on the Jazz. What do you think, Gordon? Uh, a couple things. First of all, I agree with what those guys were saying that seeing the Jazz in a seven game series with the Clips, <laughs> you don't think that would be fun? I think it'd be a great series. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd be fascinating to see how that thing played out and to see how the Jazz would react to that kind of resistance. Now, both teams have something in common off of last year's postseason. Not particularly happy either. Thank you, Denver Nuggets. No, I don't even think about that. But you know, I mean, this is uh, this is part of the evolution that we're looking at with the Jazz, and and how would they how would they be best prepared for that kind of moment, and how would they handle it? Um, yeah, and as far as uh, the the importance of the game tonight. I think this is important for the Jazz to get back on that horse and ride and get back to where they were and and not to fall into a situation like Scotty was talking about there where they would lose three of the next four or whatever it was. Uh, get back and, and, and get back to your, your business and get back to your dominance. And then the game sort of fades away. You learn your lessons, and it can be a benefit to your team, uh, especially as they consider – what their goals are for the season, for the postseason, and it can end up helping them along that way. But they don't want to tumble into one of these situations where they start losing games that they are good enough to win. All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. Joining us now, our friend from Lone Depot. He is Matt Harrison. What's going on, Matt? Hey, guys. How are you? We are doing great, and uh, we're glad you're here to help some of our listeners uh, figure out kind of if this reverse mortgage thing is a good fit, because there's kind of a lot of misinformation out there, right? There is. There is. And, you know, let's, let's kind of focus this one on, on how do we use this program to purchase a home? And, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of our listeners might be in a situation where you're 62 or better, and you're living in a home that either has stairs, the yard's too big, the house is too small, maybe the house is too big. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of different reasons for why we would look at moving. Maybe you want to get closer to family, uh, get to warmer weather. Um, and, you know, you you might be in a situation where, you know, income is not where it used to be. Um, and, yeah, you know, living on Social Security, maybe a pension, maybe or not you have a 401K. 
But if you're looking at making a move right now and you say, all right, my house is worth $300,000 and I could sell it for three hundred, but where would I go? Everything that I'm looking at is more than that, you know, four, five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars and I really don't want to have a mortgage payment. So how do I pencil this? So the reverse program has a, a purchase aspect to it where you can you can take the equity that you have and invest it into your next home. But here's where it gets really fun. And I like to use round numbers, really easy math. So if you've got um, about three hundred grand and you're over 62, if you basically double that amount, 600 grand, that's about the, the price point that you would be looking at to be able to buy a home and not have to have a principal or interest payment, which is really cool, guys, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So you still need to make your property tax payment and you still need to pay for homeowner's insurance. And so it's not a complete free ride. But, you know, if you owned your home free and clear, it's kind of the same uh, same scenario there. But this allows you to actually get the home that you want in your latter years where you want it. And you can save more of your money um, that you have and, and use it for life. And um, anyway, so it's just a really, really cool program. And, and as you guys know, I'm, I'm big into, into education and information. I've got books on this that I'm sending out for free. I just need to know how to get them to you. So if you send me a text, 801-330-2200. Again, 801-330-2200. Um, send me a text and I will send that book to you. Um, or you can visit me on my website, reverseourhome.com. Again, reverseourhome.com. A lot of great resources, Matt. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That number again, 801-330-2200. 801-330-2200. Or that website, reverseourhome.com. That's reverseourhome.com. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gerard get off saying he can see this Jazz team losing three or four of the next games. I could see this team dropping two, two out of three, three out of four. And I think this team has had to be so hyper-focused and so super intense over this last stretch that it wouldn't surprise me to lose a game like, oh, okay, well, we lost the game. Um, and then all of a sudden there's another loss. And then all of a sudden it clicks, all right, all right we got to get this thing back up and going again. You know, I could just see a long season where something like that could happen. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, come on, Homer Simpson. What team are you watching? This isn't two years ago damn don't you ever call me a homer <laughs> it's a big show gordon monson jake scott 97.5 and 1280 the zone hey it's scotty's uh, checking in in the realism department let's not uh let's not get on our boy too much uh scotty g you know there there are ups and downs in every nba season and this jazz team has been on a level that uh you it, it's impossible to win at that clip for the rest of the season. Now, I love our <laughs> listeners' optimism, and I do think that this Jazz team is different than the team two years ago. But, you know, they've won 20 out of their last 22. That's just not possible to to keep that up. Uh, it, but I think it's important for the Jazz to avoid that scenario that, uh, that uh, Scotty was talking about. Well, you last know? time when they lost to Denver, they put it right back together again. So, you know, we'll see. But 
Yeah, they're going to lose some games going forward. Come on. Come on. But, yeah, I guess it depends on on what this what this regular season is supposed to be proving to the Jazz and to everybody else and for positioning in the postseason. I mean, how important is this stuff? They have they have the Hornets, they have the Lakers, the Heat, and the Magic coming up. They should so. rattle off a bunch of wins. I, I agree with you. To answer your question, though, Gordon, I think the number one seed is realistic to shoot for, and they could really benefit from it. Especially so. considering AD being out. I mean, the Lakers, that's a bit of a struggle for LeBron Come to hold on. that team around. It is. So I, I think that that should be the goal right there. And, and I, listen, I, I don't think seeds matter all that much in the NBA. I really don't. I don't think home court advantage matters as much as people think it does in the playoffs. But in this case, with a Jazz team that's out to prove itself, I think that's a bar that they should aim for. And I think okay, it can so- benefit them avoiding playing both the Lakers and the Clippers in a row. I think that certainly right. is I think that certainly is a thing. But this isn't like the Warriors team of a couple years ago where they put it in cruise control, but you knew they were going to turn it on at playoff time. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let me let's examine this. The Jazz have the Hornets tonight. So count this up, Jake. The Hornets tonight, the Lakers on Wednesday, the Heat on Friday. And then they have a back-to-back with Orlando on Saturday. And then they face the Pelicans and the Sixers. And those games uh, are uh, uh, on the road, those last uh, four. So if that's one, two, three, four, five, six games, let's play the same game we played before when they went on, they faced these other teams. What are you expecting out of those six, out of the Jazz now? One loss would be a home run. Two losses would be par for the course. Okay. It's hard to decide which games would be victories and which games would be losses. Agreed. Especially on the road, although the road is a little different this year. But you, I would expect the Jazz to beat the Hornets tonight. I know the Hornets had the big victory with the Rosier shot, and he was really hot and had it going on, and that was terrific and whatnot. The Jazz are better than the Hornets. And then you have the home game against the Lakers, which will be an exciting game regardless of what the situation is. But given that the Lakers are where they are right now with their injury situation, that, that that's a game that you might expect the Jazz to win, right? So then they have the Heat on the road. And then the Magic. The Magic are not very good. The Pelicans on the road and the Sixers. That, that Sixers game could be a real battle. But I could see them going at least 4-2 and two over that stretch. Well, and Orlando's the second night of a back-to-back, and Orlando's not terrible. I mean, they're 13-18, and 18, and Vucevic is having yeah. a fine season. I mean, there's, you know, I would not be surprised if they stubbed their toe in one of these games. I'd, I'd pick the Jazz to win most of them. I, I'm, I'm with you on the Laker game. I don't see why that's not winnable at all. The but this, game tonight, this game tonight, Jake, is important to, to just get it back on the tracks. And, and, okay, you lost the other night, and the Jazz, and we, as we talked about, Donovan Mitchell was saying essentially, oh, yeah, a bump in the road. That's what it was, a good bump. And we just move on. Well, okay, how do you move on? You don't move on by stumbling around now for a few games, especially with a road trip. I don't think they'll stumble around. I, I fully expect them to win tonight. For one, 
the the uh, the Jazz are a bad matchup for the Hornets. Explain that. Uh, how many softer front courts do you think there are in the NBA? <laughs> I mean, I know you love Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo, but I mean, you know, it, this is a team that's going to have a tough time stopping what the Jazz do. Okay. No, I mean, that's it. <laughs> they're soft up front. They're a softer team. The Jazz should be able to muscle them around. This this should be a game where Rudy plays great. I know there are, in the regular season, better teams lose to lesser teams. It happens all the time. But when I look at this schedule, even though four of those six games are on the road, I, I think the Jazz should convincingly win most of them and potentially all of them. That Sixers game, though, I wonder about that. I, I don't know about that one. But all the others, I would expect the Jazz to win. Yeah, and we don't know who's going to play for the Sixers and those sorts of things. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. But I, I don't think you should freak out if there was a slip, though. I mean, to get to Scotty's point, you know, Miami is a good team. We saw them play the Jazz tough. I know the Jazz beat them up pretty good. But, you know, they're a well-coached, tough team. Jimmy Butler is a fine player. Uh, we talked about Orlando. Second night of a back-to-back is never going to be easy, and they have players. Uh, Zion went nuts the other night, right, for the Pel- or yesterday in that comeback against uh, against Boston. So, I mean, this is the NBA. Yeah. And we can talk about on paper, and, yeah, I expect them to beat Charlotte, Miami, Orlando, New Orleans, and then the, or excuse me, the Lakers and the Sixers will be a little bit tougher tests. But, you know, uh, I, I'll say this here and now, if the Jazz dropped one to Orlando on Saturday, don't flip out. The thing is, the Jazz are still trying to prove something. And in order to do that, you can't you can't go on these slides, I don't think. I mean, Well, one you, game is hardly a slide. Right. And, but you got to keep it from becoming a slide. Keep it away from what, uh, what Scotty was describing there. Uh, that would be harmful, I think, to the team as a whole, to its confidence, all that stuff. Get back up and ride hard and move forward and keep, keep the good, positive mojo going. I mean, yeah, it's easier said than done. I get that. But I think the Jazz are good enough to do it. And if they don't, then then uh, it's disappointing for them and for their fans. All right, we'll get to more coming up next. Stay tuned. Mannix at 4, Coach Chiesa at 5. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for a market update brought to you by TryDayTrading.com. Now anyone can be a day trader. Visit TryDayTrading.com. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. Gordo, how did the markets do today? Another one of those mixed days today, Jake. Uh, The Dow was up uh, just over 27 points. That's just a beautiful sight. The NASDAQ absolutely dropped like a rock. It was down... Nearly uh, two and a half percentage points, down 341 points today. Nope. And the S&P down 30 points. That's enough. All right. Thank you, Bronco. Thank you very much. Uh, Gordon, quick uh, revisit to a a previous segment here for a second. We had a a tweeter, Jeff, uh, tweet something, and we talked about James Harden and Kawhi Leonard and Harden flopping. Yes. And you brought up uh, the rule against flopping. And is it a finable offense? 
Well, Jeff sent us uh, a tweet with a link to all of the flopping fines in NBA history. And uh, interestingly enough, the most recent one came on September 2nd of 2020. So would that be in the bubble? I think it would have been. And that would have been Marcus Smart. He was fined $5,000 for flopping. Uh, there was one in 2019 that was Patrick Beverly fined five grand. And then the next one before that goes all the way back to 2016. Isaiah Thomas and Marcus Smart, both of the Celtics, were fined for flopping. All in all, Gordon, going back to when the rule was created in 2012, there have been 31 players fi- fined for flopping for a grand, grand total of $160,000. Well, I've seen more flopping than that. Yeah, there's there's flopping in every single game. So, only... uh, I wonder wh- I wonder why that is uh, that's uh, held in such reserve that way. Why not uh, go ahead and call it as it is? Totally agree with you, Gordon. And uh, if if I were Marcus Smart and got fined for flopping in 2020, I'd point I'd put together a mixtape of James Harden, <laughs> and I would say, "How come I'm getting fined for this?" <laughs> Yeah. When there are so many other players out there are doing it on a nightly basis. Is that not the epitome, the very definition of uh, a judgment call? It's uh, hard to tell, you know. I mean, are you handing out Oscars out there? I mean, what? Uh, how, how do you determine whether something crosses the line uh, and is appropriate for a fine or not? I would love to know. And honestly, I, when it comes to fines, like if you're going to have a rule, then then use it, you know, and yeah. that, that I put on the league. That's obviously not on the referees. I agree with you. That is a judgment call, and they need to use better judgment in my opinion, or at least in, the, in this case that we were talking about with Kawhi and, and James Harden. But, you know, you get it wrong. Okay, I get it. But if you're, gonna, if you're the league and you're going to make a rule with some teeth, well, you've got to enforce it. I think any time a guy falls down – when he's bumped into barely, uh, that's flopping as far as I'm concerned. Now, and uh, you see, sometimes guys get, cra- oh, that was a crafty move. No, it's not. It's uh, It dirties up the game. It's, it pollutes the game. I don't, I don't like that at all, and I think it should be enforced. Now, let me ask you this, because and I don't, I, I don't know. This is not a, a question that I'm sure of. Is there a difference between flopping and selling it? Uh, Not according to the NBA rulebook. Okay, yeah, I, I think it's one and the same. The the definition includes this sentence in the NBA rulebook: an attempt to either fool referees into calling undeserved fouls, or fool fans into thinking the referees missed a foul call by exaggerating the effect of contact with an opposing player. Perfect, oh, great the, rule. The, the, great the James rule. Harden should have been fined about $5 million by now, right? Every time he goes to the basket, he should be fined. See, I don't like that stuff. I don't like that game plan. It's not crafty. It's crappy. Well, I love it that Austin read the rule right there. Yeah. Because if you're going to have a rule like that, you got to enforce it. Or get rid of the rule. You know? I didn't know it had been around that long, by the way. 2012, 2012 right? Yeah. Jeez. Well, people finally got fed up with it. But then, uh, then it kind of, I don't know, you don't see it cold very often. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think it should be. Uh, just because you see this all the time where, and how many times do you hear announcers say, 
that uh, oh, you know he's he's a three hundred or a two hundred and eighty pound dude who just fell over because uh, somebody uh, walked by him. I mean, it, it it happens, if not regularly, it happens more often than what uh, what's been assessed. That's for sure. And if and if James Harden's using a flop to win a game, I mean, when are you going to address that? Come on. But then, of course, the NBA withhold withheld or what are they? What am I uh, upheld? The referee's judgment there, because heaven forbid they don't. All right, uh, let's get out of the zone fund. We'll have uh, our friend Chris Maddox join us coming up next. But joining us now, our friend Matt Harrison from Loan Depot. Matt, let's help out our listeners. Let's get them more informed on these reverse mortgages. I have one question for Gordon. Gordon, I know you're really big into soccer. Um, obviously, we see some flopping there too, don't we? And some selling it? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Not just flopping, but uh, what appears to look like somebody needs to be picked up by an ambulance and taken to uh, to a hospital nearby, and then uh, two minutes later, they're running around like nothing ever happened. You know, I think the pitch is is, is cursed. There's ghosts that, like, reach up out and, and then grab the souls of the players. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> hey, I... Uh... I, um, I'm so excited, guys, for the opportunity. Thank you so much for allowing it. Um, you know, the Reverse Mortgage Program is such a wonderful program. It helps so many people. And we've talked a little bit about how you can use this to to purchase a home. But I think this segment I want to discuss um, kind of which type of, of person would be a good candidate and a good fit for this program. You know, when it first came out, a lot of people thought that, you know, hey, this is a program for those that are just there. This is the last straw. They have no money left. Last thing that they've got is the equity in their home. And let's go ahead and, and see if we can draw anything out there to kind of help put food on the table. And there are situations where, you know, there are people in that uh, scenario. And, and, you know, we're definitely able to help. But this is a program that is also used for people that, you know, are every day, you know, we're – We've, we're making by, making things go, and things are great, and, and all the way up to those that, you know, have, you know, some good money set in their accounts. And really, my goal is to help educate you on how to use this program for retirement and, and how it can fit into your retirement plan, how it can increase your cash flow, save you money, um, and really allow you to live life in your later years. I love this because you're giving out your cell phone, and frankly, you just want our listeners to have more information to make the right decision. I do, and there's a lot of great ways to do it. So I've got a book that I'm giving out. I've had a lot of listeners take advantage of it. Please continue to do so. Um, I will send it to you free. I just need to know where to send it. My cell phone number is 801-330-2200. Again, 801-330-2200. Also, go to my website, reverseourhome.com. There's a lot of great videos that I've created that talk about uh, a lot of the questions that come with this program. 801-330-2200. That's 801-330-2200 or go to reverseourhome.com. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. Chris Mannix joins us next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.